Please take your seats. If you're going to pray for me, now would be a great time because I haven't got a clue where I'm going to go. I have. I have. I have. I've got a big clue. I know exactly what I want to do, but I need to be coherent. I need to be communicating. I want to stir your hearts. If they're not stirred already, I think they might be, but I just I want to pour some petrol on your fire, if I can, and challenge you and encourage you. Um, so I'm going to jump off. I'm going to I'm going to revisit my notes. I've just got these are my these are my stumpy notes. They're not, um, uh, but I've got a ton more in here and in here that I want to share. And um, this morning I was up early and just praying and saying, God, I'm confused. I don't just want to regurgitate the stuff that's on my piece of paper. What are you saying? What are you stirring in me? And I and I just felt I needed to go back to Isaiah 58. And just, I want to read you something here. This is um, about true worship and false worship, this little portion of scripture. But I want to start by saying this. This is a, this is a, a Jewish prophet to the Jewish nation. Uh, oh, by the way, hi on Zoom. Uh, I don't know who's there. I haven't got a chance to see you, but I know you can see me, and it's good to know that you're there. And um, Isaiah 58, a few years back, we had the visit of the, um, the Peters, a husband and wife couple that came and spent um, a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday prophesying to us as individuals, but also as a church and teaching prophecy. And uh, they brought a specific word to, the, to us as a church, as a fellowship, and it was rooted in Isaiah 58, and the premise of this little portion of scripture is that the, the people are saying, we're doing all the right things, God, but you're not answering our prayer. We're doing the things that we know we should do, but you're not pl- picking up your end of the bargain. And uh, we fasted before you, they say, uh, in verse 3, and you don't even notice it. And then the prophet says, um, speaking on behalf of God, I'll tell you why. It's because you're living for yourselves even while you are fasting. And so God is saying, listen, I I see what you're doing. I understand your heart, but your heart is far from me. You think you're doing the right thing because you're fasting, which is something that I would like you to do. But you're doing it for the wrong reason. And he goes on. He says, "Um, no, the kind of fasting I want want calls you to free those who are wrongly imprisoned and to stop oppressing those who work for you. Treat them fairly and give them what they earn. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to welcome poor wanderers into your homes. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. If you do these things, your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then, you always need to take note of when there's a then. Then, according to that, if you're doing that, then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I'm here. He will quickly reply. He is saying to the Jewish nation, but this is a principle of God as well. He's saying to the Jewish nation, if you do this stuff, if you care for the people that I really care about, you won't care about your religious patterns and processes You'll serve those that need serving. You'll care for those 
who need caring for. You'll feed those who are hungry. You'll clothe those who are in need. You will meet needs just as I will meet your need. The the Bible is full of this pattern. Feed the hungry and help them in trouble. It goes on, verse 10. Verse 12. Your children will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as the people who rebuild their walls. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Lord in everything you do. Just honor him in everything you do. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. If you do this, the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and give you your full share of the inheritance I promised to Jacob. I'm going to jump down into uh, chapter 29. I'm going to come back to this in 58, but I'm going to 59. I'm going down to verse, halfway through verse 15. The Lord looked and was displeased to find that there was no justice He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his mighty power and justice. He put on righteousness as his body armor and and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robes of vengeance and godly fury. I love this little bit of scripture. Because when you feel, when you feel, that there needs to be vengeance and you feel godly fury. You're in line with him. In your anger, don't sin, absolutely. But listen, we can be indignant with what we see, whether it's over there or whether it's the streets that we live on. If there is is no justice, God is upset and he's looking for his people to manifest justice. Remember, this is a picture of God's heart. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on the foes, uh, on his foes in distant lands. Then at last they will respect and glorify the name of the Lord throughout the world. For he will come like a flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. In 1994, or it might have been 1995, I had a vision. Uh, uh, I was in a, a church meeting and I saw something that I didn't completely understand. I understood what I was seeing, but I didn't understand what it meant. What I saw was a dry, arid landscape with a dry riverbed running. I was like stood in the riverbed with these, with these embankments either side of me that formed the old dry riverbed. And it was a dry and arid land. And I'm stood in this dry river. And I'm looking into the distance. And in the distance, I can see, I can see it now as I close my eyes. I could see mountains, a mountain range in the distance. And as I listened, I could hear the sound of thunder. I could sense in the air rain. And yet I was stood in a dry riverbed in a dry and arid land. And I was acutely aware that there was rain in the mountains, that there was a storm in the mountains, there was violence weather-wise in the mountains. And as I stood listening to the sound, 
I could smell the rain. You know those days when it's been dry and you can smell the rain? It was that kind of experience. And as I stood in this riverbed, a trickle began to come down the riverbed. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger, like these flash floods that you see in so many countries. And, uh, and as I stood, I began to realize that this water was getting more and more and more, and it was getting deeper and deeper and deeper until suddenly it was overflowing the banks of the riverbed that had constricted it and con- confined it, and suddenly it was flooding the land. And I, I'm... St- Standing in church, seeing this in front of me, thinking, God, what is this about? I don't understand. Is, is this a picture of something that is in your word? Because whenever you speak to me, God, there's always confirmation in your word. It's something. And so for a few days, I was searching in Scripture, saying, God, I feel as though you're showing me something, but I don't understand. I don't understand. And eventually, I came across this verse of Scripture. For he will come like a flood tide, driven by the breath of the Lord. And I realized that God was showing me something that he plans to do. To flood, flood the dry, parched, arid land with his glorious living water. And so I live with this passion and this purpose to see that come. And... Um, and I think part and parcel of seeing that fulfilled is doing the stuff that is already in the scriptures just in front of it. And then what I'm going to talk to you about now. You see, if, we're, if our godliness is leading us forward and the glory of the Lord is protecting us from behind and we begin to call on his name because of we're caring for the widows, the orphans, the visitors, the poor, we're actually pouring out what, what God has poured in, love, care, compassion. And we're using whatever talents we have. God says, I'm going to come like a flood. I'm going to saturate dry and weary hearts and lives and families and communities. But you have to play your part in preparing the ground. You have to be people that are pursuing God because you see something of his nature in these scriptures and this is prophetic words for the Jewish people but it's a picture of God's heart he wants to pour out his heart come with me to Peter Uh, first Peter first Peter chapter 4 I'm going to, um, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do and they say evil things about you. Now, now these words are for you. The picture in Isaiah is a revelation of God's heart for you. But these words are Peter's words to you and to me because of his journey with Jesus and what he saw with Jesus. And so he's speaking out of what he's learned from Jesus. And he's saying these words. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things that they do. And they say evil things about you. 
Just remember that they will have to face God. Just remember that they have to face God. This is the motivation that you and I need to be the righteous people who are allowing our godliness to lead us forward. The godliness of God in us, the passion for the lost, the passion for the hungry, the passion for the hurting, the passion for the isolated, the oppressed, the marginalized, the abused. We have to care. We have to care because they, if they don't know him, they're going to stand before him, just like you and I are going to stand before him. But remember that they have to face God, even when they rubbish you. I don't know whether you are a, a tweeter and you follow Twitter or you do Twitter. I tweeted something that was on my heart the other day. And, and I was just giving thanks to God for all the people like you and many that aren't here. Um, and I was saying, God, I thank you for those that have loved me and liked me, have encouraged me and challenged me have sacrificed alongside me and stood and worshipped you shoulder to shoulder with me. Uh, And those that have lied about me and stuck knives in my back and um, disappointed me and tried to deceive me and destroy me. God, I thank you for every single one of them. Genuinely, I thank you for every single one of them because they have made me better. I have become better, I hope. And I want to say to you, you know, there will be people that disappoint you. But use it as fuel to get better. Don't take on board the negative stuff that they say. If there's truth in it, build on it. But if it's not, bin it. And we need to be people that speak life. We need to be people that bring encouragement and care. But we also need to remember that those who rubbish us will one day have to stand before God. And we need to be praying for them. And they might be rubbishing the church. They might be rubbishing Christians. They might be rubbishing Myrtle House. They might be rubbishing you as an individual or me as your leader. But we need to remember that they will have to face God who will judge them all, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached even to those who have died, so that although their bodies were punished with death, they could still live in the Spirit as God does. I want to just say something about this. I jumped over it. I dodged it last week, but I want to say it here. Um, I was taught in the beginning of my journey with Jesus that this little verse here is referencing a little bit in chapter 3 where it talks about... um, those that died before Noah uh, encountered Christ. And, yeah, verse 6. That is why the good news was preached even to those who have died. This is not referencing those that have died before Noah. This is referencing people in their experience, in their day, people that you and I. So if Peter was writing to you and me now, he is saying, listen, those that have gone before you, those that have died and they heard the gospel, you need to know that they are alive today in the spirit with God. He says, that is why the good news was preached to them. They heard the good news. And even though 
even though they died, they heard the good news. So that the, even the fact that they died, don't be discouraged because it might look as though death is punishing them, but you need to know they are alive in the spirit as God is alive in the spirit. So don't be disheartened by those that have gone before you. We went to a funeral on Friday in um, uh, Cumbran of a pastor friend of ours who was the most delightful man. He was always encouraging, always, always full of passion and faith. He always has a, had a positive word to speak to you. He would always, it felt as though he would get into your uh, place of despair and pick you up with a smile and an encouragement and almost lever you out of your place of despair into a place of kind of, oh, God, you are faithful. You are good. You are with me. And he passed. He was gardening and had a heart attack so massive that he never recovered. He went into a coma and eventually went to glory. But to hear the tributes and the testimonies of this man's life was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And I thank God that that man lived his life for God. The tributes and the testimonies were breathtaking. And I would want those testimonies and those tributes to be your testimonies and tributes that would be spoken over your life because you were the one that actually cared for those that were in trouble. You were the one that would fight for them. You would be the one that gave all that you could because you were disciplined in prayer, Peter says, because he goes on. The end of the world is coming soon. The end of the world is coming soon and there are many people on planet earth right now who are afraid because of what they're seeing happen in part of Europe and they're fearful. And Peter is saying, listen, the end of the world is coming. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So be prayerful, Peter's saying. Be prayerful. You know, you need to be full of prayer. You need to be disciplined, you know, regularly in touch with dad. But he goes on, he says this, most important of all. So he's saying be earnest and disciplined, be passionate about praying to God. But he's saying, listen, this is really, really important. It's most important. This is really, really important. It's, it's actually, it's so important. It's more important than anything else right now. Continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. You can be a prayer and never care for anybody. Oh, you tell me that you do care because you pray. And I want to say, uh, you, sh- you, tell me you, you tell me you care, then show me you care. And God knows all about your prayer. That's between you and him. I don't want to, I can't run with people who are so righteous that they just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and don't do anything else. Because I want to align myself with Peter because he walked with my Savior. And he's saying, listen, this is really important. Prayer is important, but this is really important. 
continue to love. Continue to manifest your love for people in, in such a particular way that they know it. They experience it. Because this is the heart of God. Don't just do your religious thing. Do the community thing. Come with me to Matthew 24. Oh my gosh, there's so much for me to say. Okay, this is all in red in my Bible. Pages and pages of red. And there's so much to be said here, so I'm going to just jump through some different parts of it. Jesus is leaving the temple grounds. This is uh, verse 124. His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, and he told them, Do you see all these buildings? I assure you they will be so completely demolished that not one stone will be left on top of another. And Jesus sat on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and asked, When will all this take place? And will there be any sign ahead of the time to signal your return and the end of the world? So they're anxious. And his answer is full to deal with their anxiety. He says, don't panic. Wars will break out and be near and far. Uh, but don't panic. Don't panic. Yes, these things must come, but the end won't follow immediately. Uh, verse 13. But those who endure to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear and then finally the end will come. Verse, uh, let me jump across to verse 30. Then at last the sign of the coming of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the nations of the earth and they will see the Son of Man arrive on the, on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast and they will gather together his chosen ones from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. It's the premise of the lines of the song we were singing. Verse 36, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son himself, only the Father knows. So Jesus is saying, listen, the end is coming, but only the Father knows. I don't know, angels don't know, so you need to be praying, but also more than praying, you need to be caring, you need to be serving, you need to be sharing the gospel with those who are going to stand before the maker of heaven and earth one day. You have a responsibility, and I'm speaking now, you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to live in such a way that people want to know Jesus because they know you. That's your godliness going before you. He'll back you up, he says. He'll back you up, but you've got to live godly lives. That's not religious. If your neighbors know you go to church, great. But they might know that you belong to the conservative party or the labor party. Great. They might know that you belong to the BMW Owners Club. So what? They might know that you're a Manchester United supporter or a Liverpool supporter or a Scarlet supporter. Great. Fantastic. 
doesn't make them want to own a BMW or go to play, uh, watch the Scarlets play. But you need to live in such a way, Jesus is expecting it, such a godly life that people actually are drawn to God. He says, It'll, as you go forward with your life, he'll back you up. Are you a person who is known as a person of prayer and that your prayers get answered? Do your neighbors come and say, hey, Bill, I know you're a person of prayer. Can you pray? I need this situation turned around. Do people know you like that? I'm sorry, I don't mean to. No, I'm not sorry, and I do mean to burden you. I do mean to encourage you. I do mean to challenge you. I do mean to make you think. I want to stretch your understanding. I want to, I want to try and dissolve your apathy and complacency. Just as mine has to be dealt with, yours needs to be dealt with. Otherwise, this place will be packed with people who, who are here to worship Jesus. Or we might be so full. Listen, I dream of this. I dream that this building will be so full during the week with all the things that we're doing, feeding the hungry, that we can't get in here to meet on a Sunday because it's a giant restaurant filled with people from this community who know that they can come here and get good food and it's and it nourishes their family, and that they're safe here, and that there are people here that will care for them and support them, give them advice and counsel in all sorts of different ways, that they want to hang out here. And we as church, we have to borrow somebody else's building. We have to meet down the road. We have to go into life groups, and we become churches within church. I was just reading Isaiah 55 as well this morning, where it says, where the briars grew, the myrtles in plural, the myrtles will sprout and flourish. They will, they will sprout up. They will grow. They will be a, a place of blessing. And it will be an everlasting sign of God's power and love. That's what the verse says. It will be an everlasting sign of God's power and love. What will? Myrtles sprouting up where briars used to grow. And it's a prophetic word over this fellowship. It's a prophetic word that will, I hope, way outlive me. Because I want my children, not just my daughter and my son, but my children, spiritual children, to rebuild the city walls. To be people who contribute in such a way to a community that the community is better because they're in it. Not that the community is ignorant that they even exist. What kind of church would that be? It would be kind of God's church. Because we care for the widows, the orphans. Only the Father knows. So listen, we need to be praying, absolutely. But we need to be sharing completely. We need to be sharing the good news of the gospel. Not just saying, Hoy, let me just tell you what God says about you and what you're doing. Let me just tell you how wrong you are, how naughty you are, how God hates your sin. And oh, you, mm, terrible. No, <laughs> no. No, I tell you what, if people, a friend of mine, friend of ours, Simon, when he got saved, he was a raving homosexual. And that's his language. He would go to nightclubs to pick up men and he would dance around his ambag, which is his phrase again. And he, he, he was chatting with us and he said, when I first got saved, I loved Jesus with all my heart and passion. And yet I was gay. And I was so damaged because of my upbringing that it had driven me into this homosexual lifestyle. If somebody had said to me 
Simon, now you're, a, now you're a Christian, you can't be homosexual. I would have dropped Christianity like a hot brick. Because my identity was in my homosexuality, not in my relationship with God. But what happened, for, he says, what happened for him was godly men got around him and just loved him. Didn't condemn him. They loved him and cared for him befriended him, spent time with him, and he saw that there was a way to live like them that was different to the life that he'd been living and that this was what God had for him and that wasn't what God had for him. And it's always been a living example to me of what love does. It covers a multitude of sins. I think we read that. So Peter in Second Peter says this, chapter 3, verse 11. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along. Oh, if ever a verse challenges me, this is another one. And hurry it along. Look forward, but hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. And remember the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. This is just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you with the, wisdom, with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand and those who, have, who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what he meant, just as they do the other parts of Scripture. And the result is disaster for them. And he's just writing, I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, so that you can watch out and not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. I don't want you to lose your own secure footing, but grow in the special favor and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he finishes with this line, to him be all glory and honor, both now and forevermore. Amen. And remember, The Lord is patient. He longs that none perish. That's his heart. He wants worship that is manifest through caring for people. He doesn't want people to perish. And so he wants you and me to share and show the good news. To be people of light. Not people of dark. Not people of compromise. But people of righteousness and godliness faith who care and love and serve in a way that hurries up the kingdom of God coming. It hurries it up. I'm going to hand over to Martin, I think. Martin, you come and talk about prayer? I, Yeah, I'm 
I feel undone. I feel as though there's so much more to do and so much more to say. And I don't want to just keep talking. I actually want to get working. And I think it's going to take every single one of us to play a part. Maybe all you can do is pray. That's brilliant. But maybe you've got a talent. Maybe you've got a skill. Maybe you can help us feed people. Maybe you can help us serve people. Maybe you can help us heal people. Maybe you can help us share wisdom with people. But we, it's going to take all of us, not just us, it's going to take all of us Christians in this community to bring transformation to this community and beyond. And the people are going to come. People are going to come from Ukraine and other places. And I want them to find refuge in this community. I want them to come to a place that is healthy and whole, where they're loved for and cared for, where compassion overwhelms them, where the love of God invades them. So, Father, please take my words and would you water them in people's hearts that we might be people who bring your glory your glory, we usher it in that we are people of your kingdom and we are known to be followers of you, Jesus. Forgive me for when I've been forgetful or religious or pious or uncaring. Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, the church the bride and the spirit say come Lord Jesus come Lord Jesus let your glory let your glory fill the earth